Chapter fifty five, part one of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty five, Louis the fifteenth, the philosophers, part one. Nowhere and at no epoch had literature shone with so vivid a lustre as in the reign of Louis the fourteenth. Never has it been in a greater degree the occupation and charm of mankind. Never has it left nobler and rarer models behind it for the admiration and imitation of the coming race. The writers of Louis XV's age, for all their brilliancy and all their fertility, themselves felt their inferiority in respect of their predecessors. Voltaire confessed as much with a modesty which was by no means familiar to him. Inimitable in their genius, Corneille, Bossuet, Pascal, Molière, left their imprint upon the generation that came after them. It had judgment enough to set them by acclamation in the ranks of the classics. In their case, greatness displaced time. Voltaire took Racine for model. La Motte imagined that he could imitate La Fontaine. The illustrious company of great minds which surrounded the throne of Louis the Fourteenth and had so much to do with the lasting splendor of his reign, had no reason to complain of ingratitude on the part of its successors. But from the pedestal to which they raised it, it exercised no potent influence upon new thought and new passions. Enclosed in their glory as in a sanctuary, those noble spirits, discreet and orderly even in their audacities, might look forth on commotions and yearnings they had never known. They saw, with astonishment mingled with affright, their successors launching without fear or afterthought, upon that boundless world of intellect upon which the rules of conscience and the difficulties of practical life do not come in anywhere to impose limits they saw the field everywhere open to human thought and they saw falling down on all sides the boundaries which they had considered sacred they saw pioneers as bold as they were thoughtless marching through the mists of a glorious hope towards an unknown future attacking errors and abuses all the while that they were digging up the groundwork of society in order to lay new foundations, and they must have shuddered even in their everlasting rest to see ideas taking the place of creeds, doubt substituted for belief, generous aspirations after liberty, justice and humanity mingled among the masses with low passions and deep-seated rancor. They saw respect disappearing, the church as well as the kingly power losing prestige every day, religious faith all darkened and dimmed in some corner of men's souls, and amidst all this general instability they asked themselves with awe, quote, What are the guiding reins of the society which is about to be? What will be the props of the new fabric? The foundations are overturned. What will the good man do? Good men had themselves sometimes lent a hand to the work, beyond what they had intended or foreseen, perhaps. Montesquieu, despite the wise moderation of his great and strong mind, had been the first to awaken that yearning for novelty and reforms which had been silently brooding at the bottom of men's hearts. Born in 1689 at the castle of La Brede, near Bordeaux, Montesquieu really belonged, in point of age, to the reign of Louis Fourteenth, of which he bears the powerful imprint even amidst the boldness of his thoughts and expressions. Grandeur is the distinctive characteristic of Montesquieu's ideas, as it is of the seventeenth century altogether. 
he was already councillor in the parliament of bordeaux when louis the fourteenth died next year seventeen sixteen he took possession of a mortar-cap presidents or president de mortier office which had been given up to him by one of his uncles Quote, on leaving college he says there were put into my hands some law-books i examined the spirit of them those profound researches which were to last as long as his life were more suited to his tastes than jurisprudence properly so called Quote, what has always given me rather a low opinion of myself he would say is that there are very few positions in the commonwealth for which i should be really fit as for my office of president i have my heart in the right place i comprehend sufficiently well the questions in themselves but as to the procedure i did not understand anything about it i paid attention to it nevertheless but what disgusted me most was to see fools with that very talent which so to speak shunned me he resolved to deliver himself from the yoke which was intolerable to him and resigned his office but by this time the world knew his name in spite of the care he had taken at first to conceal it in seventeen twenty one when he still had his seat on the fleur de lis he had published his lettre persane an imaginary trip of two exiled parsees freely criticizing paris and france the book appeared under the regency and bears the imprint of it in the licentiousness of the descriptions and the witty irreverence of the criticisms sometimes however the future gravity of montesquieu's genius reveals itself amidst the shrewd or biting judgments it is in the lettre persane that he seeks to set up the notion of justice above the idea of god himself Quote, though there were no god he says we should still be bound to love justice that is to say make every effort to be like that being of whom we have so grand an idea and who if he existed would of necessity be just holy scripture before montesquieu had affirmed more simply and more powerfully the unchangeable idea of justice in every soul of man Quote, he who is judge of all the earth shall not he do right abraham had said when interceding with god for the righteous shut up in sodom the success of the lettre persane was great montesquieu had said what many people thought without daring to express it the doubt which was nascent in his mind and which he could only withstand by an effort of will the excessive freedom of the tone and of the style scared the authorities however when he wanted to get into the french academy in the place of m de sacy cardinal fleury opposed it formally it was only on the twenty fourth of january seventeen twenty eight that montesquieu recently elected delivered his reception speech he at once set out on some long travels he went through germany hungary italy switzerland holland and ended by settling in england for two years the sight of political liberty had charmed him Quote, ambassadors know no more about england than a six-months infant he wrote in his journal when people see the devil to pay in the periodical publications they believe that there is going to be a revolution next day but all that is required is to remember that in england as elsewhere the people are dissatisfied with the ministers and write what is only thought elsewhere england is the freest country in the world i do not accept any republic he returned to france so smitten with the parliamentary or moderate form of government as he called it that he seemed sometimes to forget the prudent maxim of the lettre persane quote, it is true said the parsee usbeck that in consequence of a whimsicality or bizarrerie which springs rather from the nature than from the mind of man 
it is sometimes necessary to change certain laws but the case is rare and when it occurs it should not be touched save with a trembling hand on returning to his castle of la brede after so many and such long travels montesquieu resolved to restore his tone by intercourse with the past Quote, i confess my liking for the ancients he used to say this antiquity enchants me and i am always ready to say with pliny you are going to athens revere the gods it was not however on the greeks that he concentrated the working of his mind in seventeen thirty four he published his considerations sur les causes de la grandeur et de la décadence des romaines montesquieu did not as bossuet did seek to hit upon god's plan touching the destinies of mankind he discovers in the virtues and vices of the romans themselves the secret of their triumphs and of their reverses the contemplation of antiquity inspires him with language often worthy of tacitus curt nervous powerful in its grave simplicity Quote, it seemed he said that the romans only conquered in order to give but they remained so positively the masters that when they made war on any prince they crushed him so to speak with the weight of the whole universe montesquieu thus performed the prelude to the great work of his life he had been working for twenty years at the esprit des lois when he published it in seventeen forty eight in the course of twenty years he says i saw my work begin grow progress and end he had placed as the motto to his book this latin phrase which at first excited the curiosity of readers prolem sine matre creatum or offspring begotten without a mother Quote, young man said montesquieu by this time advanced in years to m suard afterwards perpetual secretary to the french academy young man when a notable book is written genius is its father and liberty its mother that is why i wrote upon the title-page of my work prolem sine matre creatum it was liberty at the same time as justice that montesquieu sought and claimed in his profound researches into the laws which have from time immemorial governed mankind that new instinctive idea of natural rights those new yearnings which were beginning to dawn in all hearts remained as yet for the most part upon the surface of their minds and of their lives what was demanded at that time in france was liberty to speak and write rather than to act and govern montesquieu on the contrary went to the bottom of things and despite the natural moderation of his mind he propounded theories so perilous for absolute power that he dared not have his book printed at paris and brought it out in geneva its success was immense before his death montesquieu saw twenty-one french editions published and translations in all the languages of europe Quote, mankind had lost its title-deeds says voltaire montesquieu recovered and restored them the intense labor the immense courses of reading to which montesquieu had devoted himself had exhausted his strength Quote, i am overcome with weariness he wrote in seventeen forty seven i propose to rest myself for the remainder of my days Quote. Quote, i have done he said to m suard i have burned all my powder all my candles have gone out Quote, i had conceived the design of giving greater breadth and depth to certain parts of my esprit i have become incapable of it my reading has weakened my eyes and it seems to me that what light i have left is but the dawn of the day when they will close for ever montesquieu was at paris ill and sad at heart in spite of his habitual serenity 
notwithstanding the scoffs he had admitted into his lettre persane he had always preserved some respect for religion he considered it a necessary item in the order of societies in his soul and on his own private account he hoped and desired rather than believed Quote, though the immortality of the soul were an error he had said i should be sorry not to believe it i confess that i am not so humble as the atheists i do not know what they think but as for me i would not truck the notion of my immortality for that of an ephemeral happiness there is for me a charm in believing myself to be immortal like god himself independently of revealed ideas metaphysical ideas give me as regards my eternal happiness strong hopes which i should not like to give up as he approached the tomb his views of religion appeared to become clearer quote, what a wonderful thing he would say the christian religion which seems to have no object but felicity in the next world yet forms our happiness in this he had never looked to life for any very keen delights his spirits were as even as his mind was powerful quote, study has been for me the sovereign remedy against the disagreeables of life he wrote never having had any sorrow that an hour's reading did not dispel i awake in the morning with a secret joy at beholding the light i gaze upon the light with a sort of enchantment and all the rest of the day i am content i pass the night without awaking and in the evening when i go to bed a sort of entrancement prevents me from giving way to reflections montesquieu died as he had lived without retracting any of his ideas or of his writings the priest of his parish brought him the sacraments and quote, sir said he you know how great god is quote, yes replied the dying man and how little men are end quote. he expired almost immediately on the tenth of february seventeen fifty five at the age of sixty six he died at the beginning of the reign of the philosophers whose way he had prepared before them without having ever belonged to their number fontenelle nearly a hundred years old was soon to follow him to the tomb born at rouen in february sixteen fifty seven and nephew of corneille on the mother's side fontenelle had not received from nature any of the unequal and sublime endowments which have fixed the dramatic crown for ever upon the forehead of corneille but he had inherited the wit and indeed the brilliant wit or bel esprit which the great tragedian hid beneath the splendours of his genius he began with those writings superfine or precieux dainty tricked out in the fashion of the court and the drawing-room which suggested la bruyere's piquant portrait quote, ascanius is a statuary hegio a metal founder eschines a fuller and sidious a brilliant wit that is his trade he has a sign a workshop articles made to order and apprentices who work under him prose verse what do you lack he is equally successful in both give him an order for letters of consolation or on an absence he will undertake them take them ready-made if you like and enter his shop there is a choice assortment he has a friend whose only duty on earth is to puff him for a long while in certain society and then present him at their houses as a rare bird and a man of exquisite conversation and thereupon just as the musical man sings and the player on the lute touches his lute before the persons to whom he has been puffed sidious after coughing pulling up his wristband extending his hand and opening his fingers gravely spouts his quintessentiated ideas and his sophisticated arguments fontenelle was not destined to stop here in his intellectual developments 
when at forty years of age he became perpetual secretary to the academy of sciences he had already written his book on the pluralité des mondes the first attempt at that popularization of science which has spread so since then Quote, i believe more and more he said that there is a certain genius which has never yet been out of our europe or at least has not gone far out of it End quote. this genius clear correct precise the genius of method and analysis the genius of descartes which was at a later period that of buffon and of cuvier was admirably expounded and developed by fontenelle for the use of the ignorant he wrote for society and not for scholars of whose labours and discoveries he gave an account to society his extracts from the labours of the academy of science and his eulogies of the academicians are models of lucidness under an ingenious and subtle form rendered simple and strong by dint of wit Quote, there is only truth that persuades he used to say and even without requiring to appear with all its proofs it makes its way so naturally into the mind that when it is heard for the first time it seems as if one were merely remembering equitable and moderate in mind prudent and cold in temperament fontenelle passed his life in discussion without ever stumbling into disputes Quote, i am no theologian or philosopher or man of any denomination of any sort whatever consequently i am not at all bound to be right and i can with honour confess that i was mistaken whenever i am made to see it Quote, how did you manage to keep so many friends without making one enemy he was asked in his old age Quote, by means of two maxims he answered everything is possible everybody may be right or tout le monde a raison the friends of fontenelle were moderate like himself impressed with his fine qualities they pardoned his lack of warmth in his affections Quote, he never laughed says madame geoffrin his most intimate friend i said to him one day did you ever laugh monsieur de fontenelle no he answered i never went ha 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 that was his idea of laughing he just smiled at smart things but he was a stranger to any strong feeling he had never shed tears he had never been in a rage he had never run and as he never did anything from sentiment he did not catch impressions from others he had never interrupted anybody he listened to the end without losing anything he was in no hurry to speak and if you had been accusing against him he would have listened all day without saying a syllable the very courage and trustiness of fontenelle bore this stamp of discreet moderation when abbe st pierre was excluded from the french academy under louis the fifteenth for having dared to criticize the government of louis the fourteenth one single ball in the urn protested against the unjust pressure exercised by cardinal fleury upon the society they all asked one another who the rebel was each defended himself against having voted against the minister's order fontenelle alone kept silent when everybody had exculpated himself quote, it must be myself then said fontenelle half aloud so much cool serenity and so much taste for noble intellectual works prolonged the existence of fontenelle beyond the ordinary limits he was ninety-nine and not yet weary of life quote, if i might but reach the strawberry season once more he had said he died at paris on the ninth of january seventeen fifty nine with him disappeared what remained of the spirit and traditions of louis the fourteenth's reign montesquieu and fontenelle were the last links which united the seventeenth century to the new era in a degree as different as the scope of their minds they both felt respect for the past 
to which they were bound by numerous ties and the boldness of their thoughts was frequently tempered by prudence though naturally moderate and prudent voltaire was about to be hurried along by the ardour of strife by the weaknesses of his character by his vanity and his ambition far beyond his first intentions and his natural instincts the flood of free-thinking had spared montesquieu and fontenelle it was about to carry away voltaire almost as far as diderot françois marie arouet de voltaire was born at paris on the twenty first of november sixteen ninety four Quote, my dear father said a letter from a relative to his family in poitou our cousins have another son born three days ago madame arouet will give me some of the christening sugar-plums for you she has been very ill but it is hoped that she is going on better the infant is not much to look at having suffered from a fall which his mother had m arouet the father of a good middle-class family had been a notary at the chatelet and in seventeen o one became paymaster of fees or payeur d'epices to the court of exchequer an honourable and a lucrative post which added to the easy circumstances of the family madame arouet was dead when her youngest son was sent to the college of louis le grand which at that time belonged to the jesuits as early as then little arouet who was weak and in delicate health but withal of a very lively intelligence displayed a freedom of thought and a tendency of irreverence which already disquieted and angered his masters father leger jumped from his chair and took the boy by the collar exclaiming quote, wretch thou wilt one of these days raise the standard of deism in france father palou his confessor accustomed to read the heart said as he shook his head quote, this child is devoured with a thirst for celebrity even at school and among the jesuits that passion for getting talked about which was one of the weaknesses of voltaire's character as well as one of the sources of his influence was already to a certain extent gratified the boy was so ready in making verses that his masters themselves found amusement in practising upon his youthful talent little arouet's snuff-box had been confiscated because he had passed it along from hand to hand in class when he asked for it back from father Poret, who was always indulgent towards him the rector required an application in verse a quarter of an hour later the boy returned with his treasure in his possession having paid its ransom thus quote, adieu adieu poor snuff-box mine adieu we ne'er shall meet again nor pains nor tears nor prayers divine will win thee back my efforts are in vain adieu adieu poor box of mine adieu my sweet crown's worth of bane could i with money buy thee back once more the treasure of plutus i would drain but ah not he the god i must implore to have thee back i need apollo's vein twixt thee and me how hard a barrier line to ask for verse oh, this is all my strain adieu adieu poor box of mine adieu we ne'er shall meet again arouet was still a child when a friend of his family took him to see mademoiselle ninon de l'enclos as celebrated for her wit as for the irregularity of her life quote, abbe chateauneuf took me to see her in my very tender youth says voltaire i had done some verses which were worth nothing but which seemed very good for my age she was then eighty-five she was pleased to put me down in her will she left me two thousand francs to buy books her death followed close upon my visit and her will young arouet was finishing brilliantly his last year of rhetoric 
when john baptist rousseau already famous saw him at the distribution of prizes at the college quote, later on wrote rousseau in the thick of his quarrels with voltaire some ladies of my acquaintance had taken me to see a tragedy at the jesuits in august seventeen ten at the distribution of prizes which usually took place after those representations i observed that the same scholar was called up twice i asked father tartron who did the honours of the room in which we were who the young man was that was so distinguished among his comrades he told me that it was a little lad who had a surprising turn for poetry and proposed to introduce him to me to which i consented he went to fetch him to me and i saw him returning a moment afterwards with a young scholar who appeared to me to be about sixteen or seventeen with an ill-favoured countenance but with a bright and lively expression and who came and shook hands with me with very good grace scarcely had francois herouet left college when he was called upon to choose a career quote, i do not care for any but that of a literary man exclaimed the young fellow quote, that said his father is the condition of a man who means to be useless to society to be a charge to his family and to die of starvation the study of the law to which he was obliged to devote himself completely disgusted the poet already courted by a few great lords who were amused at his satirical vein he led an indolent and disorderly life which drove his father distracted the latter wanted to get him a place quote, till my father was the young man's reply to a relative commissioned to make the proposal that i do not care for a position which can be bought i shall find a way of getting myself one that costs nothing Quote, having but little property when i began life he wrote to m d'argenson his sometime fellow-pupil i had the insolence to think that i should have got a place as well as another if it were to be obtained by hard work and good will i threw myself into the ranks of the fine arts which always carry with them a certain air of vilification seeing that they do not make a man king's counsellor in his councils you may become a master of requests with money but you can't make a poem with money and i made one this independent behaviour and the poem on the construction du coeur de notre dame de paris the subject submitted for competition by the french academy did not prevent young arouet from being sent by his father to holland in the train of the marquis of chateauneuf then french ambassador to the states-general he committed so many follies that on his return to france m arouet forced him to enter a solicitor's office it was there that the poet acquired that knowledge of business which was so useful to him during the whole course of his long life he however did not remain there long a satire upon the french academy which had refused him the prize for poetry and later on some verses as biting as they were disrespectful against the duke of orleans twice obliged their author to quit paris sent into banishment at sully sur loire he there found partisans and admirers the merry life that was led at the chevalier sully's mitigated the hardships of absence from paris Quote, don't you go publishing abroad i beg wrote arouet nevertheless to one of his friends the happiness of which i tell you in confidence for they might perhaps leave me here long enough for me to become unhappy i know my own capacity i am not made to live long in the same place a beautiful letter addressed to the regent and disavowing all the satirical writings which had been attributed to him brought arouet back to paris at the commencement of the year seventeen seventeen he had been enjoying it for barely a few months when a new satire entitled j'ai vu or i have seen 
and bitterly criticising the late reign, engaged the attention of society, and displeased the regent afresh. Arouet defended himself with just cause, and with all his might, against the charge of having written it. The Duke of Orléans one day met him in the garden of the Palais Royal. Monsieur Arouet, said he, I bet that I will make you see a thing you have never seen. Quote, what, pray, Monseigneur? Quote, the Bastille. Quote, oh, monsieur, I will consider it seen. End quote. Two days later, young Arouet was shut up in the Bastille. Quote, I needs must go, I jog along in style, with close-shut carriage to the royal pile, built in our father's days, hard by St. Paul, by Charles V, O brethren, good men all, in no such quarters may your lot be cast, up to my room I find my way at last, a certain rascal with a smirking face, exalts the beauty of my new retreat, so comfortable, so compact, so neat. Says he, while Phoebus runs his daily race, he never casts one ray within this place. Look at the walls, some ten feet thick or so, you'll find it all the cooler here, you know. Then, bidding me admire the way they close the triple doors and triple locks on those, with gratings, bolts, and bars on every side, it's all for your security, he cried. At stroke of noon some skilly is brought in, such fare is not so delicate as thin. I am not tempted by this splendid food, but what they tell me is, t'will do you good, so eat in peace, no one will hurry you. Here in this doleful den I make ado, bastide, imprisoned, cabined, cribbed, confined, nor sleeping, drinking, eating, to my mind, betrayed by every one, my mistress too, O Marc-André, or Monsieur d'Archanson, whom censor Cato's ghost might well have chosen for his vacant post, O Marc-René, through whom tis brought about that so much people murmur here below, to your kind word my durance vile I owe, may the good God some fine day pay you out. Young Arouet passed eleven months in the Bastille. He there wrote the first part of the poem called La Henriade, under the title of La Ligue. When he at last obtained his release in April 1718, he at the same time received orders to reside at Chantenay, where his father had a country house. It was on coming out of the Bastille that the poet took from a small family estate that name of Voltaire which he was to render so famous. Quote, I have been unfortunate under my former name, he wrote to Mademoiselle Dunoyer. I mean to see whether this will suit me better. The players were at that time rehearsing the tragedy of Edipe, which was played on the 18th of November, 1718, with great success. The daring flights of philosophy introduced by the poet into this profoundly and terribly religious subject excited the enthusiasm of the roué. Voltaire was well received by the regent, who granted him an honorarium. Quote, Monseigneur, said Voltaire, I should consider it very kind, if his majesty would be pleased to provide henceforth for my board, but I beseech your highness to provide no more for my lodging. Voltaire's acts of imprudence were destined more than once to force him into leaving Paris. He all his life preserved such a horror of prison that it made him commit more than one platitude. Quote, I have a mortal aversion for prison, he wrote in 1734. Once more, however, he was to be an inmate of the Bastille. Launched upon the most brilliant society, everywhere courted and flattered, Voltaire was constantly at work, 
displaying the marvellous suppleness of his mind by shifting from the tragedies of artemise and marianne which failed to the comedy of l'indiscret to numerous charming epistles and lastly to the poem of la henriade which he went on carefully revising reading fragments of it as he changed his quarters from castle to castle one day however some criticisms to which he was not accustomed angered him so much that he threw into the fire the manuscript he held in his hand Quote, it is only worth burning then he exclaimed in a rage president Hainaut dashed at the papers Quote, i ran up and drew it out of the flames saying that i had done more than they who did not burn the Aeneid as virgil had recommended i had drawn out of the fire la henriade which voltaire was going to burn with his own hands if i liked i might ennoble this action by calling to mind that picture of raphael's at the vatican which represents augustus preventing virgil from burning the Aeneid. but i am not augustus and raphael is no more End of chapter fifty five part one